Amen. So I want to start with a question. What if the goal isn't to try to fit God into our lives, but to fit our lives into his? And these are very two different realities. Reality one, God, come fit in my life. Reality two is, God, I'm going to fit into yours. And each reality bears very, very different fruit. And you can look right now in the fruit of your life and you'll see what your root system is. Man, what fruit is bearing in my Christian walk? And you'll see which reality you're living in. But this is the fruit. I want to give you guys this imagery. This is the fruit of a life that is trying to fit God into our lives. The fruit of that is that we are at the center and we allow God to do things in our terms. That if it makes us uncomfortable or if it's inconvenient, then we think it's probably not God. We ask God to bless our decisions rather than asking him for his desires first. Fitting God into our lives is like saying, God, here's a cup. You can fill it, but only in this cup. God, you can do what you want. Here's my little cup, which is my life. And you can do what you want in my terms, in these boundaries. Here's my cup. Come fit into my life. And fitting our lives into his, now that's an entirely different reality and way of life. And these two are so different. I want you guys to see this. These two realities are so different. They aren't just different options. It's like light and darkness. You know, light is a substance. Darkness is not a substance. It's the absence of the substance. This is how different these two realities are. I want to start here in Revelation 21 to 23. I want you to see how big Jesus is. <laughs> Revelation 21 and 23 says this, and the city has no need of sun or moon for the glory of God illuminates the city and the lamb is its light. My favorite verses say the lamb is its light. So in Revelation 21, when Jesus makes all things new, he will rule and reign and he is at the center of all of creation. Think about this, to the point that we don't even need a sun or a moon anymore because God with us is the light, the heat, the oxygen, the gravity, the balance, he is everything. This is how central Jesus is to the reality of when he makes all things new. This is who we fit our lives into, guys. <laughs> I want you to see the magnitude of who Jesus is. Let's go to Colossians 1:15 to 16. Colossians 1, 15 to 16 says this, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, or through God, he created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him 
and for him. (laughs) Now, how silly does it seem now to say, this this Jesus, you can fit in my life. (laughs) You You can fit in... In, in my life, on my terms, when it's convenient for me, when I want to say yes, come, fit into my life. The last part, it says this, everything was created through him and for him. Say for him. Everything that was created was for him. The mountains, trees, the Grand Canyons, the beaches, all the creatures, the ocean, the sky, you, it's all created through him and for him. Michael Reeves, he says this quote, my favorite quotes. He says this, it was his overflowing love for the sun. I want you to hear this. This is very profound. It was his overflowing love for the son that motivated the father to create. And creation is his gift to his son. The father makes his son the inheritor. Scripture says the heir of all things. And so the son is not only the motivating origin of creation, he is its goal. The son is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end of this is who we're fitting our lives into not who we're saying hey come fit into ours I just want to show you this is the fruit of living in a reality that it's fitting our lives into his it's a reality where Jesus is at the center that we do whatever he says even if it's uncomfortable even if it's costly even if it's inconvenient that we don't Move unless his presence goes before us. We diligently seek his will and his desires before us. This is the fruit of living in that reality. Later on in that quote, Michael Reeves, he continues and he says this, because the father's love for the son has burst out to be shared with us, the son's inheritance is also shared with us. Romans 8, 17 says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That creation is a physical expression of the marvelous truth that the Father shares his love with the Son with us. And so we're fitting God into our lives. It's like giving him a cup to fill. Listen, when we fit our lives into God's, it's like jumping into the ocean. Allowing ourselves to be fully immersed by him. Do you see the contrast? God, here's my little cup. Here's my six-ounce styrofoam church coffee cup. Fill it, God. He's like, it's full. All six ounces. Like, but I still feel empty. I'm still lacking. I feel disconnected. I still feel like God is far away. Well, I filled you. Here's my cup. But the invitation is to be baptized, be fully immersed. What would happen if we lived in that reality? 
don't know if you guys know this, uh, but we've actually mapped 100% of the moon. It's a fun fact. 24 people have been on the moon. 12 people have walked on the moon. But on earth, only less than 10% of the ocean has been discovered. And only three people have gone to the deepest part of the ocean. Think about that. So what's the point? I believe this is the reality so many Christians live in. The invitation of knowing God isn't the priority because we're focused on discovering other things. The reality is because we've only given God a little cup to fill, we think that's all there is to knowing him. Yet there is a vastness of who he is that we've yet discovered. I heard someone say one time that maybe the reason we're given eternity is because that's how long it takes to know him. And so we say, God, here's my cup. Fill it. Do what you want to do in my terms, in my ways, and what makes me comfortable. When there's completely different reality that he died for you to live in. Ephesians 3.18 says this, and may you have the power to understand or to know. This is very, very good. May you have the power (laughs) to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. You just give him your cup, you're only getting a taste. John Eldridge, he says this, he says, we were created for loving union with God. Our union is much more than salvation, dutiful service, performing religious rituals and attending weekly church services. We can do all these things and still not have union with God. Your very being is made to be saturated with the being of God. To fit your lives into his. So how do we live in this reality? You ready for this? It's by living in union with God. That every single one of us is made from union and is made for union in in Jesus, with Jesus. And John 17 says this. John 17, 20 to 23. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, which is the gospel, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Pause. Jesus is revealing his relationship with the Father. This is the type of union that Jesus has with the Father. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Listen, he says this. May they, which is us, also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. May they, which is us, also be in them that the world will know 
Jesus is. What if the way to evangelize is less about handing out a piece of paper and knowing a step process, but it's about being saturated with God? That wherever you go, people will experience God through you. Because God isn't living in a cup. You're living in him. The reality of this is what do you want to invite people into? Hey, here's a really structured life where you can't do anything and you don't really experience God at all, but you won't go to hell. Here's this cup. Or, hey, I've been freed from sin because my life's been transformed. And God is no longer distant and unknowable. I'm living and walking with him and I have access to his presence. And you can know this kind of Jesus too. That cannot come through mere knowledge. That cannot come through mere study, which is all important. I wouldn't be up here if I didn't study or have knowledge. But that comes through a life that is saturated by God. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That Jesus said in this chapter that before, if you read in John 17, Jesus said, before creation, the father was loving the son through the spirit. And so the father created us out of the overflow of his love for the son. And the love the, the, the father has for the son is the love Jesus invites us into. All right, if you don't get this, you'll get this tomorrow. It's okay. In the garden, it says, God says, let us make man in our image. So we are created from union for union. You are made for union with God. There's a definition. Union by definition is the act of uniting or joining two or more things into one, or the state of being united or joined. You guys to do practice with me. It's going to be really, really swirly, but it's okay. I wouldn't fold your hands like you're praying. It's right this, like Sunday school prayer style, right? Your left hand represents God. Your right hand represents you. Now intertwine your fingers. That's union. So many of us are just living like this. Man, I could come to church and know about God. Man, that was really cool. Chills I just got when John was singing TikTok. Then I left and like, man, I feel far from God now. Because God is fitting into your life. You're not fitting into his that you were made for union. Galatians 3.27, it says this, and all who have been united with Christ or in union with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. 
right? Baptism, I want to give you guys some context. This isn't talking about getting wet. When you receive Jesus, there is a spiritual baptism that happens. The Holy Spirit baptizes you into Jesus, okay? And so what we do when we are water baptized, we're, we're declaring this is who we belong to. This is who I'm one with. And it's an outward picture of what spiritually happened internally. So you, when you receive Jesus, your old nature, your old operating system, which is sin, your default operating system, which is sin, Jesus says, hey, on the cross, your old nature died with me. And the process of this, this baptism is you are buried with Christ, your old operating system, and you're raised into new life. You receive his new nature. This is the baptism that happens when you say yes to Jesus. And when we get water baptized, this is an outward expression saying, this is who I'm one with now. Do you know when Eve was created out of Adam's rib, he, he has a moment where he's almost reciting poetry or singing a song. And he says this over his bride, you are bone of my bone, you are flesh of my flesh. Let what God joins together, let no man separate. Do you know when you receive Jesus, he says the same thing over you, his bride. You are bone of my bone, your flesh and my flesh. Let what God has joined together, let no man separate. So the word united here, you guys tracking? The word united here means in Galatians 3.27, it's to graft a branch into another. So Paul is using gardening imagery. To paint a picture for you, if you have to take a branch from an apple tree and graft it into a peach tree, that branch is then tied together in such a way that the life from the trunk of the tree flows into the branch and they grow together until finally you can't tell the difference between the graft and the natural branch. But the life is fully shared. His life becomes our life. Jesus severed all ties to Adam. He crucified our old nature. Then he gives us his nature through faith. Jerry Briggs, he says this amazing quote. He says, nothing stops the desire to pursue holiness as much as a sense of guilt. I paraphrase the, the original. He says, nothing pinches a nerve. Nothing, nothing stops a nerve from flowing, right? You know, if you guys got a pinched shoulder, it's me like every week, right? The blood isn't flowing. Nothing stops the desire to pursue holiness as much as a sense of guilt. This is why the enemy wants to keep you in shame and guilt. Not because it's what you deserve, because he knows it'll stop you from living in who you actually are in Christ. On the contrary, nothing so motivates us to deal with sin in our lives as does the understanding and application of the, tr the two truths that our sins are forgiven and the dominion of sin is broken because of our union with Christ. I'm gonna read that again. Nothing stops the desire to pursue holiness as much as a sense of guilt 
On the contrary, nothing so motivates us to deal with sin in our lives as does the understanding and the application of the two truths that our sins are forgiven and the dominion of sin is broken because of our union. That's good theology right there. So the John 15. You guys okay? John 15, verse 4. Jesus says this. Remain in me as I also remain in you. Starts with you remaining in him first. As I also remain in you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. What does this say? Apart from union, we can do nothing. It's from our union that we allow him to be our source, guys. The goal of union is learning how to remain in him. Because here's the thing, life is constantly going to lead you out of union. Distraction is going to constantly lead you out of union. The enemy and shame and guilt is constantly going to try to lead you out of union. This is what Jesus says, remain. When you remain in me, I will remain in you. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Can God lie? No. Can't. So if he says, hey, remain in me, then it's attainable. Say it to this side of the room. If God can't lie and he says, remain in me, then it's attainable. Can I challenge you guys this morning? An inconsistent walk with Jesus is not normal. People didn't like that. I'm not going to go up here and say that life is just supposed to be valleys all the time. Life happens. Hard things happen. You experience hard things. But what reality are you living in? So I want to challenge you guys with this truth. Inconsistency in your walk with Jesus is not normal. Why? Because it's not what Jesus paid for you to live. That's why it's not normal. If he says you can remain in him, then it's attainable. To live from a constant place of connection is your inheritance as a Christian. I'm going to explain this. 1 John 4, 19. John the Beloved, as he names himself, which is a 
bold power move. I love it. I'm the one Jesus loves the most. It's good. He says this, we love because he what? First loved us. We love, we love God, we love people because he first loved us. That the opposite of disconnection is dependency. Do you know what the opposite of independence is? Intimacy. The opposite of independence is intimacy. On the other side of your independence is intimacy. So how do we practically live in union with God? It's that we live from intimacy. But here's the key that a lot of us miss about intimacy. That intimacy is a two-way street. It's not intimacy if only one person is doing the loving. Intimacy is a two-way street. So if you struggle with intimacy with Jesus, it's because one person stopped loving. And the truth is Jesus never stops loving you, which means it's probably you. That you don't have intimacy with God because you're probably only on the receiving end and you're never loving him back. If he's always loving you and loving you and you're like showering in it, this is is what I, I like to call This is not politically correct, but it's okay. Spiritual obesity. Because all you do is receive, 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 soak, 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 receive, receive, receive. But you forget the first commandment. Love God. Imagine the health of a marriage. Maybe you live this. If only one person does the loving. And this is the majority of people's lives with God as Christians. Is we, we understand, because let me, let me paint a picture. I think we, for a lot of people, maybe you grew up in the movement where God is just like this big, scary person, right? Like this guy with a gray beard that throws lightning bolts. Maybe not, maybe just me. Um, but you, you grew up in this where, where God is like so holy to the point that like, I don't, I can't touch him. So we went the other extreme where like God is love. Love whoever you want. Let's love, 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 love. And now we're living in the repercussions of that. When we have to understand a way God is holy, but God is also accessible. That God is love, but he also wants you to be holy. That's good. And so intimacy has to be a two-way street. That union is God loving us and him receiving our love back. Okay. Jesus is asked, Rabbi, what is the greatest of all the commands and all of the law and all the prophets. What is the greatest thing that God wants us to do? 
He says this. This is Jesus, the word of God. God put on flesh, the God who existed before all of creation. He says this, this is the greatest thing that you can do, but not only is this the greatest thing that you can do, it's the thing that I want you to do. Love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. It's not called a great suggestion. And here's the thing, guys. It's a command because it requires sacrifice. Wouldn't it be a command if it was just easy? And so this is the, the reality that we have to shift from. Union is receiving God's love, right? We cannot love unless he first loves us, but then it's us loving him back. Intimacy has to be a two-way street. And I want you to see this. This, this is why Jesus says this is the first and greatest commandment. It's not because it feeds his ego. He's going to say, hey, I want you to love you. I'm going to command you to love me because it somehow feeds his ego and makes him feel better about himself. God is fully satisfied with or without you. But he wants you to love him. Listen, he wants you to love him because it draws us into union with him because he's always doing the loving. Now we need to learn how to love him back. Not in a way of, trying to be perfect and trying to do the Christian life apart from ourselves, but it's about remaining in him because apart from that place, you can do nothing. You can do things, but God's fingerprints won't be on it. You can do cool things and be successful and that's awesome. Doesn't mean God's gonna be on it. This brings us to another question than what is success? Now, I want to look back at my life and see the things that I did and look at what was success based on what was God on and what was he not on. Was God on the way that I parented? Was God on the way that I led my leadership team? Was God on the way that I spoke to my neighbor? Was God on the way that I was obedient to what he said for me to do in the first place? Ephesians 3.19, Paul says this, may you experience, say experience. Sorry to break it to you. The word experience in Greek means experience. May you experience the love of Christ. This is something that surpasses just knowing in your mind through reading a book. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. That's the right perspective. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete, say complete, with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. It's in experiencing the love of the Father shared to us through the Son that we will be made complete. And complete doesn't mean you never mess up. 
it means that you don't need anything else to satisfy the depths of your heart. See how this changes because we've made complete perfection, which caused us to strive to be complete. If I just don't do something, I'll be complete. That's not a good motivator. If I just don't do this, I'll be complete. And it brings us into this like works-based relationship, which is not love, by the way, servitude. But the perspective of being complete in God is saying, God, nothing else, there's, there's no room for anything else to satisfy. Because I'm, I'm just, it's just you. That's what it means to be complete. That sounds awesome until you're faced with that truth and you have to ask yourself, are there other things that I'm leaving room for because I don't think Jesus can fill? Is it Jesus plus something else for me to be complete? Jesus plus five, not five, six foot tall, dark and handsome man. You could be five foot, why not? Five foot. Come on. Is it Jesus plus blowing up on social media to be complete? Is it Jesus plus having a 4.0 GPA? Is it Jesus plus that person liking me? Is it Jesus plus fill in the blank? This isn't to shame you. Have you guys see my heart? I want to push you into what Jesus died for. Union. If it's Jesus plus then those are the areas that you need more union with God in. I want to give you the truth of who you are when you're in union with God. Can I give this to you? Here's the truth about who you are when you remain in union because it's, it's, it's true about who you are, but you can't receive it unless you're in union because apart from him, you can't do anything. So when you remain in union, here's the truth of who you are. You're a child of God. You belong to God. I just want you to, you can take a picture of it after. Just, just let it wash over you. You are a child of God. Not a slave, you're a child. Not a servant, you are a child. You belong to God. That means you're not striving for acceptance. You belong to God. You have been justified. You've been made right with him through Jesus. He sees you as holy and blameless. He doesn't see you as broken and battered and bruised. He sees you as holy and blameless. He says that you are victorious. You're not a victim. He says you are born again. If you're saying this is just who I am, this is just how I'm born, then get born again. You are a new creation. You are delivered. You are set free. You are brought near to God through Christ's blood. You have peace. Someone needs to receive that. You have peace when you are in union with God. You have access to the Father. 
You don't have to live from a distance. You have access. Boldly approach the throne of grace in your time of need. You have access to your Father. You are secure. In union, you are not an insecure person. You are secure. You are safe. In union, you can approach God with freedom, confidence. This is who you are when you're in union. Jesus. Go to First Thessalonians 5. I'm about to close. It says this. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So going back to where we started, what if the goal isn't to try to fit God into our lives, but to fit our lives into his? And the first reality is evident in our belief system around God's will. What, what, what is your belief system? What is the root system in your belief of God's will? Because for a lot of Christians, we want to know specifically the will of God that makes us the most complete. God, what is your will that would make me the most happiest? God, what is your will and who I'm supposed to marry? God, what is your will and, and where I'm supposed to live? God, where is your will? And I want you to hear this. You can ask. You have a relationship. You can, you can do that. But what I'm trying to identify is the root system. Because scripture has clearly stated his will for us. But we put more energy trying to find our definition for God's will rather than his own. So God's will for you, listen, is filtered through what will make you not the most complete apart from him, but will make you the most complete in him. Right, to what would make you the most like him? To rejoice always, to give thanks in every circumstance, to pray without ceasing. This phrase, pray without ceasing, does this stump anyone? And that stumped me. How do you pray without ceasing? You gotta eat. How do you pray without ceasing if you gotta work? How do you pray without ceasing? You're preaching the gospel. This used to stump me, but then I realized praying is more than just verbal. That prayer at its core, at the core of prayer, it's more than an act. It's the state of being in fellowship with God. I want you to really focus. We're about to, we're about to close. That prayer is more than just verbal. Prayer is the overflow of a constant union with God. That your heart can be postured in a place of union when you're preaching the gospel, which is when it should be, by the way, when you're working, when you're eating, when you're in the bathroom, 
Spurgeon, he says this. He says, prayer is the natural, I love this, outgushing. Good word. Prayer is the natural outgushing of a soul in communion with Jesus. Just as the leaf and the fruit will come out of the vine branch without any conscious effort on the part of the branch, but simply because it is living union with the stem, so prayer buds and blossoms and the fruits out of the souls abiding in Jesus. It's going back to where we started. What if life is not about fitting God into yours, but fitting yours into him. There's only 10%, less than 10% of the ocean that's been mapped and discovered. How much more of God do we have to discover? And so I want you guys to see this. This is what Jesus died for you to have, union with him. Think about those hands interlocking. This is what he died for you to live in. That my longing for my life and my longing for your life is that you would spend the time and energy to learn how to live in as much union as you possibly can. How much more of God can I discover? How much more of my life needs to be saturated in God? As Paul says, right, the, the, the height, the, the depth, the vastness that we, we can't fully comprehend how big God's love is. So if, if God cannot lie, then praying without ceasing is attainable because you can live in a constant place of union with him. Even when someone offends you, you can be thankful. <laughs> Even when someone hurts you, you can rejoice. Even when you're mourning, you can pray. This is what he is inviting us into. Worship team, you guys can come up. So where do we go from here? Where we see the key to union is intimacy. Intimacy is receiving God's love and loving him back. But where do we go from here? This is it. Pay attention. Where we go from here is learning to guard your union. That in the garden, Lord set up cherubim to guard his presence. This is, this is how we do this. Who wants to live a life in constant union? I do. Like, I want to get as close as I can to that reality until I die. So when I get to heaven, I'm not playing catch up. Guard your union. That looks like guarding your thoughts. Paying attention to distraction when it's taking your focus away from Jesus. 
It's living in this place that says, God, if this takes me out of union, I don't want it. God, if this pulls me away, man, if you want to know God's will, here it is. God, if this pulls me away from union, I don't want it. Does it matter? There's six digits on that paycheck. God, if this pulls me out of union, I value you and our relationship so much. I'm not going to just let anything in. Because in reality, there's actually no room because you're in him. Can we go into, I want to know you. We're supposed to go into that. You guys want to stand? We're going to end. Here's a phrase that I want to give you guys. Here's a phrase I want to give you. Here's the phrase. Lord, restore our union. Lord, restore our union. That whenever you feel disconnected, whenever you feel distant, maybe after you entered into a time of shame, say, Lord, restore our union. Can we just declare that church? Lord, restore our union. Say it again. Lord, restore our union. One last time. Lord, restore our union. Amen.